All right, good morning, everyone. Taking a little bit of a, an extra couple of minutes to get our minds refocused after I know you've been through two sessions. So hopefully you've been blessed in the things that you have been able to obtain so far this morning. Yes? Have you guys been enjoying it, the seminar so far? That's good. Um, as you know, the seminar is called Christian Purity. Um, this first session is entitled Defining Biblical Purity. Defining it. What is God's better plan for my sexuality? What is God's better plan for Christian purity in contrast to what the world would offer us, right? Um, this whole session is basically just that, a contrast between what the world offers and what God offers as a replacement as his something better. Um, so we're going to go right into it because I know that we're a little bit, little bit over time uh, from the last session. So we'll get started right away. It's probably going to be a lot of information. And right off the bat, I want to say that I wish this seminar um, could almost be five sessions long because there's so many things involved in the idea of Christian purity. There are so many different details and so many different aspects and perspectives um, in the idea of Christian purity and sexuality and, and so many different things that, that play into it. Um, so we'll try to hit on a few, few big things um, in the seminar and um, hopefully we'll, we'll gain a blessing and something we can apply to our personal lives. So before we start, I ask that you just bow your heads and we will begin with a word of prayer. God in heaven, Lord, we are thankful that you have a better plan. We're thankful that you designed us to be relational beings and you have a plan for our relationships and for our sexuality. God, I pray that as we look into your word today, I pray that as we look into the ideas regarding Christian purity, that you will guide our minds, that you will help us to see the higher standard that you have for us. Not one where you're taking something from us, but Lord, something where you're putting something even better in its place. Lord, I pray your spirit be here. Taylor, make this message to apply to whoever may be here in whatever background they may have come from. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, I am a new teacher, um, so I'm going to start off my seminar with a true and false question, okay? Um, true or false, we live in a world and society where there is an enormous craze for sexual pleasure. True, true right? Pretty, you got full points for that one. We live in a world and society where we are surrounded by sexuality. Um, oh, that one wasn't a true and false, so that's good. You get bonus points for that one. I'm just kind of reiterating it. Um, sensuality and immorality are around us in, in every kind of a fashion, whether it's driving down the road in your car and you see the billboards, or maybe it's passing the magazine rack as you buy your groceries, um, or maybe it's on the TV or, or the Internet or in a newspaper as you're simply reading the news. We're bombarded with sexuality. Um, I, I like to use the word saturated. We're in a sex-saturated society, and that's a true statement. Um, all around us, we find um, sex being a prevalent theme everywhere. Yesteryear, if we were to go back just a few decades into our grandparents' time or our great-grandparents' time, the early 20th century, we would have found that divorce was hard to get. Is that hard to get today? No, not at all. We would have found that pornography was illegal. We would have found that abortion was illegal, expensive and dangerous, right? Uh, we would have found that there was a strong social discouragement for having babies outside of marriage. There was a strong social discouragement for um, any type of premarital sexual activity, right? If we go back just a few decades, we can see that there was a, a, a frown upon all of those things. But we fast forward to today's time, fast forward to today's generation, just a, a couple of generations really later, and we find that today fornication is rampant. Yes? Right? We find that adultery and marital unfaithfulness is common and excused. Right? Um, that was unheard of in our grandparents' day. Right? Absolutely unheard of. Um, or at least not accepted, not socially accepted. <clears throat> We find that pornography use and addiction is absolutely, the statistics are absolutely just through the roof, where before it was illegal, right? Here are just a few statistics to, to get our minds um, going. It says over half of all the time spent on the internet, now you know how much time you spend there, and for whatever reasons you may do so, but over half the time spent on the internet is related to sexual activity, 
That's, that's, that's crazy, right? Each day, 30 million people log on to pornographic websites. 30 million. Each day, 2.5 billion emails are pornographic in nature. 2.5 billion. Sex is the number one topic researched on the internet. Number one. No, it's not the disease you need for your research paper at school. It's sex. Number one topic researched. The average age of first internet exposure to pornography. What would you guess this age is? The average age of first internet exposure to pornography. 8, 10. Wow, you guys are even lower than I would have guessed myself. The average age is 11. 11, all right? 11. Do you guys mind if I ask how old you guys are? 12 and? 12 and 10. Can you imagine, right? Like, just putting it in perspective, right? Putting it in perspective. The largest consumer age group of internet pornography is what age group? 12 to 17. And that's sad. Is that not sad? 12 to 17 is the highest age group that involve, is involved in internet pornography. We live in a world that's, that's gone mad over sexual pleasure. Um, actually, I'm going to go back on this one here first. Um, so age 12 to 17, we live in a society that sensuality is affecting our adults, it's affecting our youth, and it's affecting our children. Um, and we as Christians find ourselves in the midst of such a society. But we would be naive to think that these types of things do not affect Christian homes, right? In fact, one of the statistics that I researched said that 47% of Christian homes said that pornography was a major problem in their home. 47%, and that's only the ones that admitted it, right? That's only the ones that admitted it. Um, so this is a, a problem not only the, in society, not only in the world around us, um, but it's one that's very much affecting us and our churches, one that's very much affecting real people, um, and it's a real issue that needs to be addressed. Fornication, adultery, pornography, all of these different things, homosexuality is, is on the rise, right? Um, it continues to, to broaden in our society and unfortunately even becoming accepted in some of our churches. Um, I want to go on record for saying that God loves every sinner, amen? amen? Every sinner, but he hates the sin. And I truly believe that he has a better plan for our relationships, for love and happiness than what that would be offering us. God loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. Other issues of sexuality that are also surrounding us. I recently watched a Fox News report <clears throat> that was based in Oakland, California. And at one of the schools there, so-called specialists were going into the school talking to the children regarding transgenderism all the way down to the age of kindergarten. Kindergarten. And this Fox News report was, was relating the idea that people are coming into the grade four and kindergarten classrooms and conf confusing the kids, right? Giving them a typical understanding of what a boy is or a girl, that you might be a boy, you might be a girl, you might be both. You might be a boy in a girl's body. All the way down to kindergarten, age five, like complete confusion being introduced into our society and Satan is laughing at where we have come in the principles that God has given us and where we find ourselves in society today. He knows that he is, he is being successful in the area of sexuality in our world and in our church, and in our church. The pursuit of pleasure is high. We live in a world that tells us if it feels good, what? Do it. And don't just do it, but do it now because you don't know if you'll get the opportunity again, right? If it feels good, do it. <clears throat> Seize the moment. A society where satisfying those passions, those pleasures, and those desires is considered to be the height of fulfillment and the height of satisfaction, right? If it feels good, do it. So in the midst of such a society, in the midst of such an environment, you and I live, and in the midst of such a society, Christians created by God with sexual desires find themselves being called to be separate and to live a life of purity, right? In the midst of such a place. And if we think, as we mentioned, that we as Adventist Christians are exempt from such temptation, we're mistaken, right? And if I was to ask for a show of hands in this room, which I won't, 
of how many of you either in the present or in the past have struggled with sexual temptation, I would be willing to bet that at least 90% of your hands would be up, right? It's something that is real in our world and it's real in our own lives because sexuality is something that's natural to us. God created us as relational sexual beings. Um, so the issue is not so much having the desires, but in controlling them, right? Not so much in having the desire because God gave us those desires, but in controlling them. Um, and unfortunately, these topics of sexuality are ones that often go unaddressed in our churches. How many of you have heard a sexual purity seminar in your church or in your youth group lately? Okay, I got two hands. That's, that's, that's pretty good, right? I have never been in a youth group myself where I've been, where that's been addressed in my youth group. Um, how many sermons do we hear from the pulpit regarding sexual purity, right? Um, and I think that our youth and our young adults and, and whoever would benefit, our children, pornography starts at age 11, average age, would benefit greatly um, if we had more exposure to these types of things to learn how to maintain our, our Christian purity, right? I think it's something that has gone unaddressed um, but really needs to be addressed. And like we mentioned, I think one of the things that causes this issue to be one that's a little bit difficult in nature is that sexuality is natural, right? Sexual desire is natural to us. It was God himself that said in the Garden of Eden, it's not good that man should be alone, right? So he gave Adam a mate. He gave him a companion. He gave Adam a lover, right? He knew that it wasn't good for man to be alone. So sexuality is something that is not wrong, it's heaven-ordained, right? It's heaven-ordained. So like we mentioned, the, 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 the problem then is not so much in having the sexual desires, but in controlling them for the right time, the right person, and in the right context, right? Um, so let's just take a look a little bit at some biblical texts regarding purity and sexuality. Um, we could look through throughout the history of the Old Testament and see that sexual temptation is something that was um, prevalent all throughout Israel's history, right? Uh, we have the story of Samson, get her for she pleases me, <laughs> right? Um, we have the story of, of David, the king of Israel, um, who found himself in an adulterous affair. We have the story of Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. If you read his story in uh, Prophets and Kings, the first few chapters, it's an amazing story uh, of the height of his wisdom and success as he was following God. And he went so far because of the, the influence of, of heathen women in his life as to offer human sacrifices. The wisest man who ever lived went so low as to offer human sacrifices because of the influence of women in his life, right? Women, make sure your influence is one that's positive. Israel in the wilderness, we have the story of Balaam where he was asked to curse Israel. You guys remember this story? And he couldn't speak out cursings, he could only speak what? Blessings, right? And so finally he comes to his, to his whatever and he says to the people, look, if you really want Israel to fall, all you gotta do is mix in your ladies and they'll fall flat on their face. And that's exactly what happened, exactly what happened. Um, heathen women came in, the Midianite women, and full-blown full -blown idolatry was seen in the camp as a result of their influence, right? Um, so sexual temptation is something that we can see all throughout Israel's history. And in that particular instance, it happened just on the borders of what? Of Canaan, right? They were just on their way into the promised land, just on their way in, and they fell flat on their face. It should be no surprise to us in our last day generation that we will also see Satan working a hundredfold in this area as we too are on the borders of Canaan. We too are on the borders of the promised land and we can expect to have to deal with it, not only in our world, but inside of our church as well. Um, <clears throat> so I believe that it's important for us to understand what purity looks like, to understand what God's um, standard is for us as we live in this generation that's on this sex craze and sensual craze, and to know principles that I can apply so that I can obtain and maintain purity, that God would be pleased with my life and that I can experience the, the joy and satisfaction that he actually has for me. Um, and so let's take a look at some, some biblical passages. Um, Matthew 5, verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall, they shall see God. Right? This is one of the, the Beatitudes of the Jesus Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the pure in heart. The pure in heart. That's what we're striving for. Open your Bibles to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we're going to read verses 3 to 5. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 to 5. All right, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3, it says, For this is the will of God concerning you, even your sanctification. Right? This is the will of God concerning you, even your sanctification. Now let's pause. Is sanctification only related to Christian purity? No, right? This is just one area of sanctification, one area in which God wants to reform and refine my life to be more like him, right? But in this context, this is what Paul is talking about. Let's continue on. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Verse 4, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel or body in sanctification and honor. Verse 5, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So Paul here is saying, look, this is the will of God for you, that you know how to possess yourself, that you know how to control yourself, that you know how to control your desires and your passions and your body in this area of sexual temptation and not be like the Gentiles or the people of the world who just give in to whatever they want whenever they want, right? So this is the will of God for you, that you not be engaged in sexual immorality, that you know how to possess yourself, and that you have a, a life of purity before God. All right, let's look up another one, Ephesians chapter 5. So Paul has set the stage there in Thessalonians of what God wants for us. It's the will of God concerning us. Now let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 5, another writing of Paul. Ephesians chapter 5. <clears throat> and we'll read verses 1 to 3. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 3. All right, the Bible reads, Therefore be imitators of... God, as dear children, imitators of God, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma or savor. Verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanness and, unco and covetousness, let it not even be... Now, anyone who has the King James Version, what's that next word? Let it not even be once named among you. Let it not even be once named among you. All of these things that he lists here, fornication and uncleanness, he says, don't let it be seen of you. Don't let it be seen among you. Don't let it even be seen once. Don't even let it be seen a little bit. Sexuality then must be a serious issue in the eyes of God, right? For him to want us to be so in tune that we realize that he doesn't want it, not even a little bit, um, sexual immorality amongst us. That's a high standard that God has given to us. Sensuality is all around us in our world, but we're told as Christians to not participate in it in any way, in any way. Steps to Christ, page 34, says this statement. And this, is a, this is a humbling, sobering statement in my opinion. It says, even one, and we just read in, in Ephesians, don't let it be named once among you, even one wrong trait of character one sinful desire, persistently cherished, will eventually neutralize all the power of the gospel. I'm not sure if that has set in yet, but I can be right in 99% of my life. 99% of my habits can be exactly in line with scripture. But if I hold on to that 1%, if I hold on to that one thing that I want to cherish, Despite the other 99, she says that one thing will eventually neutralize and cancel out all of the power of the gospel I've experienced in my life. That's a deep statement. It's a deep statement. And in the area of sensuality and, and Christian purity, God is helping us to recognize here in the book of Ephesians and in this statement that it's a serious issue, right? It's something that we need to deal with in our own lives. It's something that we need to address. As we heard last night, Paul says in Timothy's, 2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful lusts, right? Get away from them. What's another word for flee? 
run, run away from it, right? But pursue these other things. I've heard one preacher say, we often don't run away from sin. We often crawl away, hoping that it's going to catch up with us, right? Because the reality is that we actually like it. Our hearts actually want to, to engage in those things. Um, flee useful us. Get away from those things, but pursue purity. Pursue purity. All right, I'm going to get you to look up one more passage before I talk a little more. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. <clears throat> now, this is a, a common passage, one that you're probably all familiar with, one that maybe you've had on your bookmarks given to you or Sabbath school, 1 Timothy chapter 4. And we're going to read verse 12. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12. All right. Maybe this is a favorite for some of you. It says, let no one despise your youth. Let no one despise your youth. But be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Right? Paul is here telling the, the Corinthians, sorry, telling Timothy, um, don't follow the crowd. Right? Don't, don't follow what is culturally or socially acceptable. Set the pace. Right? Don't follow just what the standard has been given to you. Set the standard on biblical principles. Right? Don't, don't give in to what society has told you is right or okay. Follow the word of God for yourself and be an example of those things. Be an example. Now I'm going to do a little bit of a contrast here. How many of you have the King James version of the Bible? Anyone here? Okay, I've got some few hands. How many have the new King James? Anyone? All right. Um, <clears throat> King James version. I'm just going to read the text again. And when I ask for the word, I want you to give it to me. Okay? Let no one despise your youth, but be an example of the believers. Now, be an example of the believers. To me, that's saying be an example of what a believer should be. Right? Believe it. Um, an example of the believers. Be an example of what a Christian should look like in these areas of faith and love and purity and all of these things. Be an example to the world of what a Christian should be. Are we on the same page? Be an example of the believers. Now, New King James. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers. Now, I'm not going to go into biblical versions here at all, um, but this is a very different word. Now I'm not just being an example of what a Christian should be to the world. I'm being an example to the believers. Sexual purity and the standards of sexuality have gone down in our church. Be an example to the believers. Be an example to the believers. <clears throat> I think we could all say that we have, well, we haven't lived long enough to see the change in our church, um, but issues of divorce, Issues of fornication and adultery and being unequally yoked and all of these things are accepted in our church today, unfortunately, in ways that they shouldn't be, right? The standard has been let down and we haven't addressed these issues like we should. Paul here says to Timothy, don't just be an example of the believers, be an example to the believers. Be an example to those that are younger than you, youth. Be, those, be an example to those that are older than you of what Christian purity is really like. Don't just be an example to the world, but be an example within the church. Set the pace. Be an example. Be an example of the believers and to the believers of God's better purity plan. Be an example in your relationships. Be an example in the physical boundaries that you keep. Be an example in your conversation, right? Be an example of the church and in the church. Be an example of purity. All right, so we have these te uh, texts and passages that instruct us on to pursue a path of purity. We have examples of scripture, like we mentioned, of David and Solomon and Samson, of, of people who failed in sexual um, temptation and found themselves experiencing great heartache as a result. We also have the example of people like Joseph, um, who lived a life of purity and was determined to live his life for the audience of God, right? Um, in his temptation with Potiphar's wife, he says, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God, right? He knew where he stood in this line, and we have his example before us. So now let's take a little bit of a, a look as to what else is involved in this idea of purity um, 
We have the, the instruction from Scripture, we have examples from Scripture, but now what does that look like maybe in my everyday life? Okay. Um, I think one of the things that is directly related to the issues of purity is the issue of love. The issue of love. I think the world, uh, our church, the people in our church, maybe even people in this room, we're on a quest for love. Wouldn't you say that? It's a desire within each one of our hearts to, to love and be loved. Um, so what is love? What really are we on a quest for when we say that we want love? <clears throat> Here's one explanation of what love is, taken from the book Love's Lies, God's Replies, written by a man named Dustin Hall. Allow me to introduce myself. My name is Love. I am a feeling. I can't be described. All one can do is sense me. I can't be learned, known, or witnessed. I'm a rush through one's whole body, a high. I am the arousal that someone creates the passing aroma from his cologne, the smile the stranger gave from across the room. I am intense attraction. I am the smell of her hair. I am the taste of his kiss. I am excitement. I am what everyone thinks they have always longed for. I am finite, but in the moment I feel eternal. I am impatient and uncontrollable. I am the intense pulsing of the human heart. I am what causes goosebumps. I am a drug. Nobody can get enough of me. I am needed because I am addictive. Yet I am right. When I go away, people don't feel what I am, so they feel empty and bored. People look for me everywhere. I come and I go. I am worth taking chances for because I feel so good. I am sexual and deep, but fulfilling, unfulfilling at the same time. Is that not a description of what the world tells us love is? Right? Um, many in our world today, many in our church, maybe, you know, perhaps we have even heard this kind of a description before. This is the picture we have been given of love, that of, of intense attraction, that of sexual passion, um, that love is limited to arousal, that love is, love is limited to attraction or, or limited to um, the goosebumps and the tingles, right? That's what love is. Um, and I think when we have a mixed up view of what love is, it's going to affect our Christian purity, for sure. Um, so it says here in the book that I read that love says, I'm worth taking chances for. Would we say that people are taking chances with love in our world today? Yeah, absolutely. They're taking chances and they're finding themselves wounded and scarred, right? They're finding themselves going through emotional, physical, social, and spiritual trauma as a result of having engaged with something that they thought was love, but it was the wrong kind. So what is love? What is love? It's a lie from Satan that love is a feeling. It's a lie from Satan that love is just a thrill, that love is just romance. It's a lie from the devil that love is just lust and passion. That is not the basis of love. Letters to Young Lovers, page 30. <clears throat> Ellen White says, true love, true love is a high and holy principle, altogether different in character from that love which is awakened by impulse and which suddenly dies when severely tested. True love is not a strong, fiery, impetuous passion. On the contrary, it is calm and deep in its nature. It looks beyond mere externals and is attracted by qualities alone. It is wise and discriminating, and its devotion is real and abiding. Love is a precious gift which we receive from Jesus. Love is more than the tingles. Love is more than the passion. Love is a gift from God, a deep, rich peace of himself. 1 John 4, 8 says that God is love. God is love. And 1 Corinthians 13 reminds us that love is patient. That love is kind. That love is, is not jealous, but it finds and rejoices in the, in the good of others. That love is not boastful. God's love is eternal, unconditional, and completely selfless. God's love is understanding and in no way abusive. God's love is a gift 
and we truly experience his love, we'll be more able to experience it with someone else as well. From the same book, Love's Lies, God's Replies, page 15, it says this statement, in summary, true love is not a feeling or a state or simply an emotion, but complete selflessness found deep within the heart of God, the one calling you by name. Love is so much more than mere sensual gratification, despite what the world tells you. However, we still find ourselves, men and women, boys and girls, engaging in different varieties of relationships, trying to find something that will last, trying to find something that will fulfill the void, trying to find something that will please the, the desires that we have, but yet, Temporary pleasure and fulfillment may result, but when the experience is had, when the rush is over, the feelings of emptiness are still found, the, empty, uh, the feelings of dissatisfaction continue. Love the way the world presents it is not something better. Love as seen in the life and in the, the experience with God is something better. And I believe that we have to genuinely have an experience with God before we really know what love is and before we can pass that on in our relationships um, with other people. True love. So we're going to take a little bit of a shift here. We have, uh, we have some biblical instruction regarding love, regarding purity, regarding um, sensuality and sexuality that we've looked at. We have, any, um, we have the, the picture of what love is that we've just looked at and what it is not. Um, and now we're going to take a look, well, how does that play into, um, you know, how does it translate into my day-to-day -day living, right? How, how can I make this a little bit more practical? What really is Christian purity? What really is Christian purity? <clears throat> what does it look like? Whether I'm in a relationship, whether I'm married, whether I'm single, what is it that God expects of me? And what is it that purity consists of? Um, for a person that has a desire for love and sexual fulfillment, in the midst of a perverted society. Um, Dustin Hall has another book that I was reading in preparation for this. So the first was Love's Lies, God's Replies. The second one is called The Gospel of Sex. The Gospel of Sex. And in this book, he addresses some different lies from the devil, different lies regarding sexuality and purity. And one of the lies that he addresses is the idea of safe sex, that there is no risk involved. And he reminds us that no premarital plan is safe other than abstinence. Okay, I'm just going to brush over that really quick. Um, the, second, the second lie, uh, not there yet. The second lie is the idea of casual sex, that I can have um, intimate relations with more than one person in an uncommitted way. And that's a lie from the devil to say that that's okay. Right? That's not what God's plan is for us. He created us in the Garden of Eden to have how many partners? One partner. Not just for your sake, but probably for their sake too. Right? Um, to have one partner. Lie number three, and this one is definitely going to relate a little bit more to us. Um, it is a lie from the devil that what you behold doesn't affect you. A lie from the devil that what you behold doesn't affect you. <clears throat> Satan has told us that it doesn't matter what we watch. It doesn't matter what we listen to. It doesn't matter what we surround ourselves with. That somehow we have this filter on our minds that I'll just put the evil over here and I'll take the good. And that's, that's completely illogical, right? It's, it's logical to say that if I surround myself, by, surround myself by a certain type of ideal or values, that they're going to influence my own ideals and values, right? We can't engage in certain things, whether it's sources of entertainment or whatever, and not be influenced by them. So it's a lie from the devil to say that, that we can. Um, and we could get into this a whole lot more, and I don't think we have time. But in the book of Romans, chapter 1, um, and we won't go there right now just because we don't have time. At the end of that chapter, I challenge you to read the last few verses. And I really believe that Scripture teaches us that it is not only inappropriate to engage in sexual immorality, I think we would all agree, right? Sexual immorality is not good. Amen? <laughs> um, there's a certain line that we know that when we cross it, that's, it's, it's passing through um, to the devil's playground. But I believe that Scripture not only teaches that it's wrong to engage in it, but it is wrong for me to find pleasure in others who do. I'm going to repeat that. It's not only wrong for me to engage in sexual immorality, but it is wrong for me to find pleasure in watching others who do. Now, 
um, that directly relates to our entertainment, right? Directly relates to our entertainment. Um, and I don't think we have time. I'll just go into this really briefly. This was something that was challenged to me when I was at the Mission College of Evangelism. You guys have heard of the Mission College before? Probably not because it's now moved to Guam, but it used to be in, in the United States. Um, and one of the speakers got up one week and said, and gave, gave his talk, and he talked on Romans chapter 1, the end of Romans chapter 1. And at the end of that passage, it says exactly what I just said, that fornicators and adulterers and liars and murderers and da-da-da-da-da have no place in the part of the kingdom of God, right? And these people not only engage in those things, but he says, but they find pleasure in those who do. When I sit down and watch my TV screen and see sexual immorality played out on that screen, I'm finding pleasure in it. Finding pleasure in it. When I watch movies where, <clears throat> let me ask you a question. Would it be okay for my dad to romantically touch and kiss your mom? <laughs> I saw some of your faces like, what is she talking about, right? Um, it would not be okay. Why not? Because they're in a marriage relationship and it is inappropriate to act in such a way with someone outside of that marriage relationship, right? Yet I have no problem, or we have sometimes no problem, sitting down watching, and I actually wasn't going to get into this, but I am now. <laughs> um, we have no problem sitting down watching perhaps so-and-so as an actor kiss so-and-so as an actor when he's married to someone else in real life and she's married to someone else in real life. But because they're acting, it's okay. No, it's not. No, it's not. I really believe that God's standard is much higher than we imagine, right? For me to sit down and find pleasure in their adultery, even when it seems so small, right? Young people, set the, set the standard higher for your entertainment. It's a lie from the devil to say that what you behold doesn't affect you. It's a lie from the devil. What I watch, what I listen to, all of these things plays a role in the purity that I will experience in my life. We're going to go into the, another um, lie here. But just before, I just want to reiterate something that George mentioned last night. All of these things, the movies, the music, and all of this stuff that's, that's programming our mind towards sensuality is setting us up for, do you remember what he said last night? Setting us up for what in the future? Adultery. Setting us up for adultery and divorce in the future. Because we're programming our mind to say this is okay, and as long as I don't get caught, and all of these things, right? Um, that's what Satan is teaching us in the media. If we're, we have to be careful. We have to be careful what we, what we choose as our sources of entertainment. Number four. I'm only going to get to four lies here. Number four. Lie number four. This one, Dustin Hall in his book calls not just the lie, but the big lie. Okay, the big lie. <clears throat> and this one, I think, is something that would be applicable. Uh, just out of curiosity, how many of you are in a relationship? Zero. <laughs> all right. All right. Um, some of you will be someday, so this will still apply. All right, number four, the big lie. Oh, no, I left it. Okay, this is actually in context to number three. If we are to be the light of the world... We can't dim that light with entertainment that fractures our connection with Jesus. Amen? Amen? If we're to be the light of the world, then engaging in things that fracture that connection with him is going to cause us to cease to be that light. All right, so here's the big lie that he, he addresses. Sexual purity is limited to sexual intercourse. Um, sexual purity is limited to sexual intercourse. The big lie. Now, that's something that would definitely apply in a Christian setting. Right? Because for the most part, would we generally say that it's the, uh, it's the standard of Christianity that we save sex till marriage? Yes? Right? That's, a, that's the, the general Christian perspective. Um, so what is it now? How does this apply in my, in my, um, in my relationships? And, and what does purity look like if it's not just limited sexual, sexual intercourse? Um, often the questions are asked in relationships. Well, how far is too far? How close is too close. Um, and we're actually not going to get into all of those things today as to this is too close and that's too much. Like I'm, we're going to look at principles and I'm going to let God talk to your mind regarding those specifics. Um, but the idea that, well, I haven't had sex outside of marriage, so I'm pure. It's, he says it's a lie because purity encompasses so much more than that. Purity encompasses so much more. Purity goes beyond mere virginity. 
purity goes beyond mere virginity. Purity is not limited to the bedroom. Purity, on the other hand, <coughs> is a lifestyle. Purity is a lifestyle. Now, what does that actually mean? If I were to ask you the different components of health or living, now I think Daniel has some health background here. Maybe we'll put him on the spot. What are the components of health or living, or anyone else that wants to, to help out? Um, if I'll give you one, the physical side of health. What's another one? Mental. The mental. Okay, the next? Emotional. Spiritual and, and social, right? All of these different things are the components of health or living. So if we're to say that purity is a lifestyle, then it makes sense then that I should see purity stamped on all of those areas of my life, right? Um, in the Old Testament, when the, the children of Israel were to bring a lamb for their offering, it was not allowed to have any what? Spot or wrinkle or, or devices or any such thing, right? It was to be spotless, without blemish. And we know that that was a symbol of Jesus as the, the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. However, Paul also says in the book of Romans that we're to present ourselves as living sacrifices. So as a living sacrifice, it makes sense then that if the lamb in the Old Testament, could it have bright white feet and paws but have spots on its back? No, right? It couldn't have purity all over but then be hiding something under its belly right it was a pure lamb so it makes sense then that purity should be seen in all of these different areas of my life as this living sacrifice um, so the different components that you just mentioned physical now i don't know if we have space for this my teacher mode's kicking in i want to write stuff down <laughs> you tell me what do you think is involved in physical purity Anything. You can just go for it. Okay, we're getting to specifics here. Definitely specifics there. Um, so if we said physical boundaries in our relationships, okay? Physical boundaries in our relationships. Um, good. Anything else? What else is maybe related to physical purity? What you eat. Hmm. Interesting. What you eat and drink. All right. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, do all to the, the glory of God. Hmm. Interesting. Purity, what you eat and drink. All right, anything else? Go ahead. The way you interact, maybe your gestures and those kinds of things. Okay, the way you interact with others, good. Um, I think it's going to come up in another session this afternoon. Anything else that comes to your mind for physical? The way you dress, the way you dress. So purity is not just uh, he touched me too much, but we can see that it affects some other things regarding our physical side as well, right? Um, Physical, physical um, purity could also be things like masturbation, right? We're getting into some, some more real things here right now. Um, but purity takes on a, a broad perspective, okay? Okay, so that was physical. What about emotional? What do you think might be involved in emotional purity? Any ideas come to your mind? Go ahead. Castle building, all right. I had that down as mental, but I think it could go for both. Um, <clears throat> castle building, anyone know what castle building is? Chantel, do you want to tell us what you think castle building is? Um, it's when like, you allow your mind to travel into a castle with the prince. <laughs> <laughs> and basically, like, you just get very uh, mentally carried away, and sometimes emotionally, like a person that's not necessarily yours. All right. Very, very good summary of what. It's basically picturing scenarios, right? Would I be, yeah, picturing scenarios of he did this and then da 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 and da 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 da. And, you know, you're imagining all of these things, right? That could be emotional and mental purity. Thank you for mentioning that. Um, what else could be involved in emotional? Maybe having emotions or allowing my heart to grow emotions for a relationship that's forbidden, right? Um, if I have a wife and kids at home, it is forbidden for me to grow emotions for my secretary. Amen? Um, or maybe it's emotional purity. Maybe it's dealing with same-sex attraction. All right? That could be emotional purity or something that I need to, I need to have the, the, I need to experience the purity of God so that I can um, understand what he wants for my relationships in those, in those settings. Go ahead, Daniel. 
clinging to this one person, you can't let them go. Okay, so very dependent upon someone, emotional purity, all right. That's definitely um, related as well. Um, mental purity, what else comes to your mind when you think of mental purity? Lust, right, right away, first thing, right, lust. Lustful thinking, lustful gazing. Um, Jesus addressed that in Matthew chapter 5. Um, imagining scenarios, which was castle building, we mentioned before. Yeah, go ahead. What we read. What we read. All right, absolutely. And that goes back to the first the lie that we just mentioned a few minutes ago, right? What we watch, what we listen to, what we read, the books that we... Novels can be graphic. Yeah, and I see some of your faces saying, yeah, they sure can, right? Um, the words on a page can sometimes do more than the pictures on a screen, right? Because we create the image then. We create the image. Um, so mental, mental purity, again, regarding um, lustful thinking and castle building, these types of things. Pornography is totally related here in mental, mental purity. Um, I heard one person say, wow, I'm running out of time. I heard one person say that um, a heroin or cocaine addict can eventually get the cocaine out of his system. But a pornography addict always has the images there, right? It's not something that you just wash out with an extra glass of water, you know what I mean? Um, so pornography is directly related to mental purity. Um, we could talk about social purity, right? We talked about that, that is an aspect of, of living. The friendships that I form with others, right? The associations that I have, um, the sources of entertainment that I choose would be related to social, social purity. Um, the types of relationships that I'm engaged in, being unequally yoked. I'm not sure where all of you stand on that in relationships and how your mind um, may see that value that God has presented to us, but I believe that's a part of purity, social purity, um, being equally yoked with the, with the person that God has for you in values and in, in standards and beliefs and goals and purposes for your life. You don't want to be yoked up with someone who's going on a different path than you. That's going to be create disaster and heartache. Spiritual purity. I think it encompasses all of the above, like we've mentioned, and it affects our spiritual lives, our spiritual growth. Um, we could relate it to, as the Bible uses in prophecy, it could be purity of knowledge and, and doctrine and these kinds of things as well. Um, so God wants us to experience purity on every level, right? So we can see that purity is not only just the physical realm of our lives. Uh, how much did you guys touch last night? Right? We can see that it's, it's encompassing so much more, that purity is a lifestyle. Purity is a lifestyle. And perhaps it's even actually more of an inward um, mindset than it really is of an outward. Because if we experience purity of heart and mind, our actions will naturally spring forth of purity. Right? Um, what's the verse in the Bible that says, out of the... Abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, those types of things. Um, Proverbs chapter 4, 23, I think it also says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of, of life, right? So in our hearts and in our mind, that's the, this, we're going to address this in the next seminar, that's the seat, that's the root. So if we have purity of heart and mind, then the outward actions will, fo will follow suit, right? Um, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 says, whatever things are true, whatever things are pure, Whatever things are honest and good and lovely, think on, on these things. Because God knows that if we allow our minds to engage in things that are of impure nature, it will translate into our actions. It will translate into our habits. And it will affect our character, which determines our, our destiny, right? Controlling our mind, controlling our mind. <clears throat> All right. Um, we've talked about a few different things regarding purity. And this is an area where I know that I have at times struggled in my own life. Imagine that we had a line going straight down this, this room here, and we actually kind of do with our aisle. Um, and maybe we could say that the line, crossing the line would be sin, okay? Crossing the line would be sin. Would it be easier for me to jump over the line if I'm over here? Now, I'm athletic, but I'm not that athletic to jump over that. Um, or would it be easier for me to, to cross over the line if I'm right here, right? We know it would be the second. If we walk the line, we can be sure that we'll cross the line, right? We can be sure that we'll cross the line if we try to live our lives just so close that I can just get away with whatever I can, we're eventually gonna cross the line, right? Um, God doesn't want us to be line walkers. He wants us to give him something better. 
give him something better. As that living sacrifice, give him something reasonable. Of all that he's done for you, stay away from the line. Stay away from the line. Instead of asking what's the least requirement that I have to do and still get into heaven, maybe we should step away. God, I want to give this area of my life to you. I want to surrender this area of my sexuality and my purity to you. I want to experience the joy and the fulfillment that you have for me in my life. I don't want to stay next to the line because I know that crossing it will cause heartache. So help me, Lord, to stay away from the line. If Eve hadn't touched the fruit, she wouldn't have eaten it. Now, did God say from the context of Scripture that we have, did he say that it was sin to touch it? He didn't, right? But if she hadn't touched it, she couldn't have eaten it. Now, unless she's bobbing for apples, which some of you may have been good at as a kid. Um, But if I know that eating the fruit is sin, then it doesn't make sense for me to handle it and to adore it and to rub it all over my face, just making sure that I don't bite into it, right? If I play with sin, I'm going to find myself wounded, right? If I step so close to the line, I'm going to find myself crossing it. So stay away from the line. Stay away from the line. In these issues of purity, ask God, Lord, what would you have for me? What would you have for me in 2013? How would you have me live my life in such a sensual society? How can I be an example to the world? How can I be an example to the church of what purity really looks like? What it really looks like in all of these different areas of my life, whether it's physical or mental or social or or spiritual, all of these different things. How can I be an example of true purity? Teach me, Lord, the joy that will come in following your plan, your better plan. Before we close, I want to go into a couple of things here. The benefits of waiting. The benefits of waiting. Um, in relation to sexuality and sexual activity, what are the benefits of waiting? Why should I deny myself the pleasure of this moment that I want right now? What is it that I have to gain by waiting? What is it that I have to gain by sacrificing this? Because I want it right now. What is it that I have to gain? We don't have time to go into all of these, but I could ask you, um, I could ask you, what are some benefits from waiting from your perspective? Go ahead. More choice. Yes. Um, if you don't wait, mm-hmm. you could fall for the first person you meet, or you could become infatuated before you really intelligently make your choice. Interesting. Interesting. More choice. I was talking with a friend recently, and we said that the law is liberty, right? Because in, in, in falling in the law and disobedience, we find ourselves stressed, guilty, ashamed, and all of these things. But if you find yourself living a life of, of, um, in accordance with God's will, it's, it's a life that's freeing, right? Um, somebody else had their hand up here. Go ahead. Very special. So it takes away from the specialness to engage with people other outside of marriage. Um, emotional trauma that results from breakups, right? Um, just because you give yourself to someone doesn't mean you're going to be with them forever if you're in an uncommitted relationship outside of marriage. So the, the breakup and the emotional trauma that results after having given so much and invested so much in that relationship only to find yourself wounded and separated now creates a, a stress and a trauma that God never wanted you to have. And you can be free from that by waiting, right? In the physical realm, if we were to talk maybe in this context in, in the world, what are some things that they would say that you don't, this is why we don't have premarital sex? Avoiding what? Okay, avoiding STDs, unwanted pregnancy, all of these things also play a role, right? Um, but I think that God, and, and also we want to include in here, why do we not engage in these things? Because it disappoints the heart of God, right? It disappoints the heart of God because he wants something so much better for us, so much better. And as a parent is hurt when their children are hurt, God hurts when he sees that we dabble in things that are less than what he has for us less than what he has. But outside of just, you know, unwanted babies and getting infections, um, I think that God has, or there are so many other reasons as well to wait. Um, And not just in this book, um, 
Dustin Hall says that uh, sexual abstinence is not just, like we said in our big lie, not just not sexual intercourse, right? Uh, sexual purity involves so much more, and he likens it to all sexual activity or arousal. Um, but I think that God has a plan for us in waiting, and like we said, beyond the diseases and beyond the unwanted pregnancies, um, I believe that waiting develops characteristics in us that are necessary for all areas of life. And here's one of them. The highest evidence of nobility in a Christian, the highest evidence of nobility in a Christian is self-control. That's a deep statement, right? Taken from God's Amazing Grace, page 256, waiting develops self-control. Waiting develops self-control, which is the quality that you need in your home, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, when the kids are annoying, when the boss says this and that, you need self-control to possess yourself, right? And, and Ellen White goes on to say um, in another quotation that someone who possesses themselves and controls themselves under such abuse is one of God's, catch this, one of God's heroes, one of God's heroes, right? The highest evidence of nobility in a Christian is self-control. I believe that waiting also develops discipline. Waiting develops discipline. Discipline is just is choosing between what you want now and what you want most. Because right now I want it. Right now I want it. But in the grand scheme of things, zooming out, no, I want this more. Right? I really want this more. And in talking with a friend recently, I said, what do we really want? We want to grow old with white hair and canes and still be hand in hand with that special someone. Yeah, we really do. We want to grow old in love. Um, so discipline is choosing between what you want now in this moment and choosing what you want most in the grand scheme of things. Um, waiting develops discipline. Waiting develops self-control. Waiting develops discipline. And finally, waiting develops delayed gratification. What do I mean by that? Delayed gratification. What do you think? What, what is that? Someone summarize that for me. Delayed gratification. Go ahead. It's like um, <coughs> you wait for something special, it's even more special. Exactly what she just said. When you wait to get it, it's even more special. We live in a world of right now, right? Give me my microwave, heat it up fast. Um, instant messaging, instant oatmeal, right? Everything is fast food, fast pace, fast whatever. Give it to me right now. And in that world, we find ourselves pushing our purity into the fast pace as well. Give it to me right now because I, I want it right now, right? Um, discipline causes us to look forward to what we want most more than what we want now. Um, and so delayed gratification is just as Chantel just mentioned. The ability to resist temptation, this is taken from uh, a non-Christian source, um, delayed gratification is the ability to resist the temptation for an immediate reward. There is temporary pleasure that comes in worldly lust. There is temporary pleasure. Um, an immediate reward and wait for something later, a larger reward, right? A larger word. There was a study done in the 1960s and 70s called the Marshmallow Study. Anyone heard of this one? Yeah, you've heard of it. That's great. Um, the Marshmallow Study. And it was done by a man named Walter Michel. And he took four-year-olds, okay, four-year-olds, and put them in a room. And on the table, there was a marshmallow. And he said, if you want this marshmallow, push this button, and I'll come and give it to you. You can have the marshmallow. <clears throat> but he also said, if you'll wait 15 minutes, I'll come and give you two. Right? So here's the situation. You can, you can imagine the stress of the four-year-old, right? Do I take the marshmallow or do I wait 15 minutes and I'll get two marshmallows? Many of them couldn't wait. Many of them couldn't wait. They didn't understand or they couldn't control themselves to wait 15 minutes to get the better reward of two marshmallows. And studies showed that further on in the lives, the children who waited longer at age four later scored, check this out, significantly higher on the SAT, were better educated, felt a stronger sense of self-worth, coped more effectively with stress, and were less likely to use cocaine or crack than those who delayed gratification, or those who couldn't delay gratification, I'm sorry. There is a sense of 
like Chantel and, and someone else just mentioned, the joy and fulfillment that comes after you've worked hard for something, right? Um, that later, better reward, the joy and the satisfaction of waiting out that process and finally reaching your goal, finally gaining your treasure, there's joy in that and there's pleasure and there's satisfaction in delayed gratification. The world tells us to do it, to do it now, but interestingly enough, couples, I think the statistic is the one I have here, oh, I couldn't include this one, anything worth having is worth, worth waiting for, right, delayed gratification. Um, couples that live together before marriage, this is a statistic I got off the internet, Couples that live together before marriage have a 50% higher chance of divorce after they marry than do people who do not live together before marriage. Now that's, that's actually very interesting because a lot of people would say the opposite. Oh, you need to live together so that you understand each other and da da da, and it'll make it better afterwards. But this statistic says that that's not the case, right? They, they give themselves to each other, they live together before they're married and they're more prone to divorce after marriage than those who didn't live together to begin with. Um, which is actually a very interesting statistic. We have to wrap this up. We have to wrap this up. So I'm going to skip over a few things here. Proverbs chapter 12, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a, to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of, ways of death. There's a way that seems right to me. Right now, this is what I want. This is what seems to make sense. But the end is the ways of death and destruction and heartache. C.S. Lewis says, I don't know if you guys have heard of C.S. Lewis, but he's a very interesting, very interesting author um, in many cases. There are far, far better things ahead than anything that we leave behind. Far, far better things ahead than anything we leave behind. <clears throat> and also in, in relation to this idea, in Patriarchs and Prophets, page 126, I think I might have this one on the screen, um, Ellen White says this, the happiest place on earth for us, the what place? The happiest. Everyone in this world is pursuing happiness, right? And some people may, may look to find it in different ways, but we are all pursuing happiness. The happiest place on earth for us is the place where God would have us be. The place where God would have us be. Well, I'm not so sure that I'll be happy in waiting, I'm not sure that I really see the benefits. The happiest place you'll be is where God would have you be, right? I'm not sure that I would be happy um, with, with that guy. This guy seems okay. Like, he's, he's, not a, he's not in the church, but really, is that really that bad? The happiest place you'll be is where God would have you be. I'm not sure that I would be happy with that gender. The happiest place that you'll be is where God would have you be, right? The happiest place. In our pursuit of happiness, we need to follow God's plan, renounce the things that he has asked us to renounce, knowing that he will provide something better in its place, something better in its place. I believe, as we close, that purity, and we've seen that it, it, it involves every aspect of our lives, right? I believe that purity is possible. And some of us may think, no, I'm not so sure. This affects my entertainment. It affects my associations. It affects my conversations. It affects my relationships and the physical boundaries. It affects every part of my life. I'm not so sure that it's possible. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Jude chapter 1 verse 24 says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. Right? And Titus chapter 2 says that... that um, the grace of God has appeared to all men, teaching us to deny worldly lusts, that we can live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. I believe that purity is possible. In this next session, um, we're going to take a look at how. Right? The first one is defining biblical purity. What is God's better plan? The second session we're going to look at is how do I experience that practically in a day-to-day -day life? What are some tips that I can implement in my life to know that I can experience this, this purity practically? What are some things that I can do in my experience so that I can um, obtain or maintain the purity that God would have for me? I pray that you are blessed by some of the things that we share today. I'm sure that you were challenged in some ways. Um, for those of you that may think, well, it's too late for me, I've already stepped off the path. 
right? I've already engaged in impure entertainment. I've already engaged in impure relationships. My mind is already filled with impure thoughts. Proverbs 24, 16 says, a just man falls seven times but rises again. There's a quotation taken from a lady named Maria Robinson, and I don't know who this lady is, so I'm not sure if, what her life was, but it says, nobody can go back and start a new beginning, but anyone can start today and make a new ending, right? There's hope for all of us. So I pray that in this context of purity, we would take a look at what God's standard is and know that it's something better, not just arbitrary rules, but something that's really for my happiness and fulfillment. And that we'll learn in the next session, how do I really experience that? How do I have it practically in my life? Let's close with a word of prayer, and then we'll break for lunch. God in heaven, thank you that you have a better plan for us. Thank you that although we may renounce things right now in this life, in, the, in even the aspects of our, of our sexuality and our purity, Lord, help us to realize the big picture and that you have something better to offer us. Lord, I pray that we would adopt the, the principles that we've, that we've talked about today, that we would see the areas of our life that perhaps need to be um, put a little more fine-tuned in line with the, the plan that you would have for us. Speak to our hearts, Lord. Help us to desire purity. And when we don't have that desire, Lord, we claim the promise of Ezekiel that you'll put a new heart within us. You'll put new desires within us, ones that desire righteousness and purity. So, Father, go with us now, and may our lives this day forward be ones of an example of purity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.